This scripture is Psalm 139, verses 1 through 16. O Lord, you have searched me, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in, behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from the Spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you recreated my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. If I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made, your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Thank you, Beth. Let's pray together. Father, I just confess that the things I long to see happen in my own heart and in the hearts of your people, I cannot bring about, no matter how well I preach. They can only come about through your supernatural work, through your Holy Spirit, through the power of your word. And the power of the gospel. So I ask based on those things that you would make your presence known to us and felt among us. And make a relationship with you and your presence the highest goal of our lives. Let us see with your eyes what is truly valuable here. I pray especially for those who are walking through times of darkness right now that you would just draw them near to you and that they would feel it, that it would affect even their emotions, that a real sense of peace would pervade among your people because of your presence. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. So I had planned a different passage for this morning and set about preparing for it this week. It was going to be in the book of Job. Um, It was going to be amazing. But I've struggled to get my mind off of Psalm 139 all week. Uh, It ended up being a passage that I shared with Alvin and the passage I shared with Alvin's family and friends at his funeral. And uh, so... Really, after the funeral, when I set about to finishing my preparation on the Job passage, I just decided, forget it, I'm going to preach the Psalm 139 passage, and I trust that that's the Holy Spirit's guidance. And, um, so the things I'm going to say today, I'd like to reiterate to you guys who were at the funeral, and um, I feel like I had more to say from this passage than I was able to say then and there, and more people to say it to. So I'm going to bring this passage to you today. It's... Um, I need to introduce it by way of another passage, though. And that passage is Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 and 22. 
these two verses sort of sum up Christianity. Christianity can be summed up in, in the notion of God bringing people who were far from him, near to him, through Jesus Christ. That's one way to look at Christianity, you know, in a simplistic form. It's God bringing people who were far from him, near to him, through Jesus Christ. And that's what Colossians 1, 21 and 22 teaches. Paul writes, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, And you, who were once alienated or separated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he, God, has now... I'm sorry, Jesus has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So you who were far away, you who were alienated, separated because of sin, Jesus in his body on the cross has done the work required to make a way for you to come back to God so that your sin would no longer separate you from God. Sin separates Sin separates people from people, and it separates people from God. Now, any of you who've had a close relationship, a sibling, a friend, a spouse, and sin came between you, you know what that separation feels like. Even if geographically you're nearby, even if you're laying in the same bed going to sleep together at night, you can feel a million miles apart when there's sin undealt with between the two of you. Sin separates And it especially separates us from a holy God because he is too perfect to be in the presence of sin. So Jesus came and dealt with that. So he didn't just save you so that you could feel better about you, so that you could be healthier physically and mentally and emotionally. He saved you so that you could be near to God the Father. That was always what you were designed for, nearness to God the Father. You remember in Genesis, he created Adam and Eve And everything was good and perfect until sin entered. And the main thing that sin did was it drove Adam and Eve away from God's presence out of the garden. Jesus brings us back. So God's presence is central to what it means to be a Christian. It's central to everything that we're doing. So I want to remind those of you who know Jesus, who know what what it means to be presented to God holy and blameless and above reproach through the work of Jesus, I want to remind you of God's presence with you and how sweet and comforting and wonderful it is. For those of you who do not yet know that relationship with God through Jesus, who maybe know church and religious activities, but maybe you don't really know God and what it means to be close to God and what it means to have all your guilt removed so you can look at God with, in the eyes without shame and guilt and secrecy and hiddenness. I want to invite you to embrace this salvation this morning and to experience that presence of God. So that gets us back into Psalm 139. I want you to see it through the lens of Jesus Christ, of what it took to purchase this closeness for us. So I only have three points. The first one is this. God is present with his children. God is present with his children. Look back in your Bibles at verses 7 through 10 of Psalm 139. And you will need your Bibles. I didn't project any of this because we're going to be bouncing around so much in this chapter. Psalm 139, verses 7 through 10. The psalmist write, talking to God, 
Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in shale, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, your right hand shall hold me. So the big idea is God is present with his children everywhere. There is no place God's child can go away from God's presence. In the good times when you're in in the figurative heavens and the bad times when you're in the figurative Sheol, which I know is a word we're not familiar with really, but um, as I study it and the best I can understand it, the closest parallel for us would be the grave. It's the place where you go when you die. So even, even there, the child of God does not escape God's presence. And even when you're remote away from God, as he says here very poetically, if you take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there, God is with his children. God is present with his children. Now, this can be a really good and heartwarming idea to know if you think back over your week, as you went along your week, God was there. As you snuggled with your child or your grandchild on the couch, God was there. When you were laughing with your friends or at that movie, God was there. When you were enjoying that good meal, God was there. Uh, This can be deeply comforting to know that God had not forsaken you when it felt as though those relationships were falling apart. When you saw your loved ones getting sick. When you saw your loved ones die. It can be very comforting to know that when we face death, he'll still be present with us then. It can be frightening to know that in our moments of secret sin, God is there. When we shut the bedroom door so the kids don't hear, God hears, God is there. He's everywhere present with his children. And we need to let that settle in for a minute because that is a, a deep, a deeply wondrous thought. Now, he's not only present, but he's attentive. All these places, God is there. And in verse 10, even there, your hand shall lead me, your right hand shall hold me. So it's the image of God's hand leading us along and holding us. Now, the illustration I gave at the funeral, and I want to share with you too, I think it sums up what he means. It's the same way I am with my children in a busy parking lot. Now, in the busiest parking lot, in in Concord Mills parking lot, the Saturday before Christmas, my children could walk from our van all the way to the entrance with their eyes closed, so long as I am there with my hand on their shoulder, leading them and holding them. That's the sort of attentive presence we enjoy as God's children. He's not only there, he's attentive. And that leads me to my second point. So point number one, God is present with his children. Point number two, he is attentive to his children. Again, I shared this at the funeral too. There is a difference between being present and being attentive. You can be present without being attentive. And it may surprise you, but I can tell by looking at you as I'm preaching who is present but not attentive. I can see the glaze coming over and I can see the lids getting heavy. 
I definitely see the big yawns and stretches, and I understand those things. Children can tell the difference between when their parents are merely present and when they're attentive. Some of you parents know you're, you're trying to do your work or you're trying to cook the meal or you're trying to clean up or you're just trying to watch the game or whatever you're trying to do. And your kids just, they don't just want you to be sitting there. They want you to be looking at them, down on the floor with them, playing with them, engaged with them, noticing the picture they're trying to show you. They don't just want your presence. They want you to be attentive. See, God is present with his children and he's attentive with his children. And just as thoroughly as he is present all the time, he is attentive all the time. He is interested and he is involved. Look back at verses one through six. Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. Searched me. Searched. He didn't just glance and, and notice us and then keep going on about what he's doing. He has searched me. I remember, I guess it was a couple years ago now, a young gal that lived nearby went missing. And there were search parties out. And I almost think Will was a part of one of those search parties. And if I, if I understand correctly, they just sort of teamed up and just combed through woods and fields and neighborhoods looking for this missing gal, searching. That's how attentive God is to his children. He searches through us. Verse 2. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. That word discern could and probably is, I think, if you have the NIV, be translated understand. So God not only sees what we're doing, he understands and discerns our thoughts from afar. You know how difficult it is to get somebody to understand what's going on inside of you? What's going on in your mind? What's going on in your heart? It's nearly impossible sometimes to get another human being to understand you, isn't it? Especially when, you're, when things are complicated, emotionally or situationally, circumstantially. Uh, just last night, Meredith was reading a book. She always alert when I mention her name from the pulpit. This, is a, this isn't a bad thing. She was reading a book and she called me in and she said, I've never seen a paragraph in a book describe something I felt as well as this paragraph. And, and I read it. And she was just... It was exciting for her to feel like maybe this will help to understand what I'm feeling because it can be so hard to express what you're feeling. See, God understands. He understands his children. He searches you to understand you. He discerns you. you know, some people feel as though there's no one that understands them and they're right. Because not knowing God, they truly are alone from the one being that could understand you, that could truly know you. Verse three, you search out my path and my lying down. The word translated search there is a different word from verse one, and it means scrutinize or has the idea of like spreading out and looking through. It's what your children do with their Halloween candy when they get home. Or better yet, it's what you do as parents when you get home and you search through your children's Halloween candy for the stuff that you want to eat. You don't want the generic hard candy. You want the Reese cups, etc. That spreading out and looking through, that's the sort of attentiveness of God's presence in his children. He's spreading us out. He's lifting things up. He's looking through to understand everything about you. 
The second part of verse 3. And are acquainted with all my ways. And then verse 4. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. So you've seen couples, older married couples who know each other so well, they finish each other's sentences. God's a step further than that. He knows the whole sentence and the intention behind the sentence before you do. God is very interested in his children. And he's very involved in his children's lives as well. Look later on in the passage at verses 13 through 16. Look at the the warm, involved attention that God gives to his children. Verse 13. For you formed my inward parts and knitted me together in my mother's womb. He knitting. Is this knitting or crocheting? Or is it the same motions? He didn't just push the, the button that produced you. He knitted you together. Is this not right? Like this? <laughs> Should have done my research. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. See here, he's saying, wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. And he's sort of looking in a mirror. He's talking about himself, what the Lord has done just in creating himself. Verse 15, my frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. Unformed substance could be translated embryo. This is all... Very beginning, very early after conception in the womb stuff. Now, this is not a sermon about abortion, but I have to mention it. It's passages like this and truths like this that make abortion heinous and completely contrary to the Christian worldview. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, my embryo. That's where this attentive, warm, fatherly, weaving, knitting work first began for you. It's simply not true that that's just a mass of cells. Every year there's about 1.21 million babies killed in abortion. You know, you may have seen on the news... How ISIS has killed children, and it just makes you desperately, deeply sick. And we have a hidden holocaust going on all around us that we have to take seriously. There's a project called, uh, or it's a nonprofit called uh, Psalm 139 Project, I think. And what they do is they collect money to make funding available for crisis pregnancy centers to have ultrasound machines. And they call it a window into the womb because statistically, if a mother can just see in that womb and just see what it is, they won't go through with it. Because they start to see what God sees when he looks in that womb. God sees the unformed substance and what he sees is the delicate work of his hands, his, his knitting work, a precious human being. 
As Christians, we need to take this seriously. Now, that's a sidebar. This isn't a sermon about abortion, but it's inescapable here. God is intimately involved with people from the very, very start, from the very, very beginning, in the secret places, in the dark where we can't even see. He goes on in verse 16. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was not one of them. It's as though he has a book. You know, I have, this is my sort of all-purpose little book. It's my prayer journal, and it's where I write my sermon notes because it disciplines me to keep it short, if you can believe it. Um, Whereas if I just have endless Word document space, it might expand. So I have this book, and in it I have prayers for things I hope the Lord will answer for my children and for myself and for you. And It's like God has a book, and in it he has, before you were even thought of on this earth, written out everything, every day. That was formed for you. Now, the big idea here is God is interested in you and attentive and involved. He's not this distant deity. He is not this distant idea. He is not this distant, cold concept that we can come on Sunday mornings and study. He is here. He is there in that pew. He is in your home, he's in your car. He's not like a television that we can turn on on Sunday mornings or when it's time for our quiet time and then turn him off again and go about life on our own. He's there in life. He's always on. He's always present with his children and he's always attentive. This leads to my third and final point. God is present with his children. He's attentive with his children. And this is what gets his children through the dark. God's attentive presence is what gets his children through the dark. Now for that, I want to circle back to verses 11 and 12. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day for darkness is as light with you. See, God's sweet providence for his children in the dark times is not night vision goggles so that you can see. It's his firm fatherly hand on your shoulder. It's himself. It's his presence. So very often when what we want so badly is for him to just reveal to us the next 20 steps so we can know and we can feel secure in our circumstances, he withholds that from us. Because he doesn't want us finding our security in our circumstances. He wants us finding our security in him. And him alone. And this is a loving thing. Because when you think about it. When you get to that deathbed. He is all you will have. You know one day. All of our circumstances are just going to be wiped away. And all it will be. Is us and him. Now that might sound bleak. But if you know him. It's not bleak at all. It's wonderful. Because we were made for him. All the little joys we feel in the little things. Are just little shadows of the joy that is found in him. You know I talk to my kids about this. Elias is asking a lot of really good questions. And usually the answer is ask your mom. But he. 
I hesitate to share this because, you know, it was a private conversation between us. So I hadn't written this in my notes, so I'm having to, you get to see live me trying to work out what I say. Basically, the notion was, um, if in the end, all this is going to be gone, what are we even doing? Like, why am I even accumulating all these Legos? You know, eventually they're going to be gone. And I try to explain to him, as I want to explain to you, those Legos are good. Enjoy the Legos as a good gift from your father. But yes, they are temporary because those are just like the appetizer. Those are just pointing toward the reality. That feeling of joy that your Legos give you is just a, a small taste of the joy to be found in God the Father. It's a, little, it's a little sample cup as sweet frogs. It's not the reason you came. It's, it's not the reason you're here. It's a little taste of what's to come in God the Father. So it's good that he removes our dependency on all the other things and sets us squarely on himself. It's a gift to us. So when you're in the darkness... You can remember passages like Psalm 23, which is such a common passage at funerals because it's such a comfort. But think back to that psalm for a minute. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. The notion of green pastures and still quiet waters is so nice. But then verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, so even with the Lord as your shepherd, even the fact that you're not wanting, lacking anything, he's providing you everything you need, there will still be valleys of the shadow of death. But the, the confident sheep who is trusting in her shepherd can say, I will fear no evil. Why? Do you remember? Most of you probably, for thou art with me, because you're with me. Not because the darkness isn't really so dark. It is dark to you. And not because the danger isn't really so dangerous. It is dangerous to you. But the shepherd's with you. The Lord is with you. And the darkness is as light to him. It's as bright as the day. So, though your circumstances may seem dark and seem like a call for despair, they don't have to be. And though you may not understand, you don't have to understand. He understands, and he's with you. And his hand is on you, and he's leading you and guiding you if you are his child through Jesus Christ. Now, this reminds me, as so many things seem to, of Romans 8. And this is where I'd like to land you know, I, I really do believe that a believer can face death with peace uh, without it being terrifying. Because it is a scary concept and we're all going to face it. Every single one of us in this room, I can assure you, that's one thing I can tell you with confidence, we will face death unless Christ returns first. I really do believe that a Christian can face it with peace. I think we can trust that it's not going to feel like a free fall into a... Uh, an abyss. I can, I really feel confident based on, for one thing, Psalm 139, that it will feel like our father leading us and holding us through a dark transition that we, we have never seen before and would be scary if we faced it alone. 
but he'll be with us. Now, where I want to land is, if a Christian can be at peace in death, surely we can be at peace in life. Surely that same peace can be ours in life. So Romans 8, one of my go-to passages for everything. Verse 35, you know, Paul just got done giving that wonderful promise in verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purposes. Such a good promise. But then just a little bit later in verse 35, he says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Revealing that what he means by work it together for our good is further connect us to the love of Christ. So he says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And the answer is no, we're more than conquerors of all these things. But the answer isn't no, because you're never going to experience those things. It's that you probably will experience some of these things, but it won't separate you from the love of Christ. You know, as I've seen footage of these Christian martyrs, I have thought, what if this comes to us? What if that's us in the orange jumpsuits being led out to the beach? Who among us could stay connected to Jesus Christ? Who among us would not forsake our faith in Christ for safety? And I think for believers, we will cling to verses like this. Even if we experience tribulation distress, persecution, even if famine, nakedness, we have nothing, danger and sword, none of that. It can separate us from our loved ones. It can separate us from our homes. It can separate us from our physical comfort. It can separate us from even our physical lives, but it cannot separate us from the love of Christ. That ultimately is the promise of Christianity. Inseparable connection to God through Christ. Inseparable connection to the love of Christ. He goes on, and I'll end with verses 38 and 39. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. What a beautiful, eternal, solid promise on which to build our lives. Now, I'd like to pray for us, and then we're going to remember those who have preceded us in death. As I mentioned earlier, there's a microphone here. If anybody would like to come and share a memory or a thought as we read out these names, feel free to. We remember these people as a way of honoring them and as a way of thanking God for all the blessings he brought about through them in our lives. But it's also good for us to face death from time to time. It's sobering, isn't it? Reminds us of what's eternal. It reminds us of what's important. It reminds us of what we can truly put our weight on and stand on. So it's good. So let's pray. Father, thank you for making a way for us to be your children through Jesus Christ. Left to our own, we would be so consumed by our own sinfulness, so separated from God because of it, 
so isolated and alone. Thank you that through Jesus that we can be brought near to him, holy and blameless and above reproach. Or may we all accept that cleansing sacrifice of Jesus Christ on our behalf. May we all enjoy his presence and his attention as well cared for children. Those of us who are in the dark right now, Lord, please strengthen us. Please grip us more firmly so we feel it, so we can feel secure in your presence. With the near promise that we will all face darkness of some sort, Lord, prepare us now so that we can stand strong, so that we can fear no evil because you're with us. And now as we remember these three individuals who died last year, Lord, we trust you with their fate, knowing that you're gracious and merciful through Jesus Christ. We trust you with our grief and our mourning. And we celebrate who they were and how you blessed us through them. In Jesus' name, amen.